In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I had a fascinating chat with Chris Cooper, engineer, social scientist, and CTO of Know Now Information. Chris tells us about his background and how understanding the causes of things that happen can create change. We discussed how Chris sees the UK embracing smart concepts and why smart standards are the key to collaboration and interoperability in smart communities, as well as how to stay flexible even while using standards. We finish our conversation about the emerging trend of making open data compelling for the everyday person so that we can hold leaders to account to make evidence-based decisions, especially in the age of things like Brexit. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hi, Zoe. I'm good, thank you. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, you too. Let's jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Yeah, sure. So I consider myself to be a bit of a hybrid because I'm a chartered engineer and a social scientist. And what really floats my boat is I really like to understand why people make the decisions they do and how, if we had uh, better data engineering and software engineering, can we make those little magic moments happen in life? And, you know, an idea for that is, you know, you could be getting ready in the morning and your autonomous vehicle just pops along just when you need it as you walk out the door. But you're not freaked out by it because you've allowed that to happen. That's the choice that you've made. And now that would be the thing that really floats my boat is uh, how do you make the magic happen? And, and it's all about bringing great information and great actions and outcomes to people that put a smile on their face. Yeah, awesome. I'm also an engineer and I find it really fascinating why people make decisions as well as just the typical foundational engineering stuff as well. So yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah, because us people, we can be a right tricky bunch and and I tend to base kind of why people do it on my own selfish short-termism and anyone that's a better person than me there's lots of you out there, many, many millions. <laughs> Hopefully, because I'm at the bottom of the pile, everything would be, if it, if it works in my head, then surely smarter, cleverer, more motivated individuals will, will also like it. But yeah, we love our grooves. And how do you shift someone out of a groove because you want them to be more sustainable or to use something less or to do something more? And why do we do it? And why do we do the things we do? And how do we get manipulated to do the things we do? And I'm a great believer it's all about that, that short-term endorphin rush that puts a smile on our face. So how can we use information to make that happen and stick it so you're happy to do what you're doing? And that, that's the cool thing. Yeah, because I guess like the manipulation kind of tool, maybe that's not the right word, but like, you know, in advertising, we're manipulated every single day to do things that they want us to do. And what if we could actually do that for good things that, you know, make our lives better and make the planet more sustainable and and that kind of thing yeah and i think and this is where the social science bit for me comes in so everything that i talk about tends to be not about it but about economics and sociology and psychology and and understanding the politics and historical cultural reasons why things happen 
And that is so important because unless you understand why things will happen as they do, you've got no chance of influencing a change. And where I think in our current world of short-term endorphin hits that we want to push the buttons for with information, how do you make longer-term economic decisions about climate change, about preparing good resilient infrastructure, about investing in the proper things that will give your future generations a positive legacy. And we're just not geared up for that, both from a governance perspective to how we value stuff. So often it's it's how you trying to get that bigger, greater goal by using lots of short-term endorphin hits that subtly over time change what's going to happen. Because if we carry on as normal, then the chances are there'll be a road crash, but you don't want to you want to avoid that. And this this is where we, we're in a really good position. We're in a great position to change what could happen. Mm. So what sparked your interest in this smart city, smart community space? So yeah, I, I, my previous employer before setting up Know Now, it's um, IBM and I was a transport geek. By that, my customers were big corporate transport providers, people like Network Rail who runs a UK rail infrastructure. I had tour operators and, and logistics providers. And, and so you become very au fait with moving lots of things or big things on, in small spaces. And it was becoming more and more slapped with a marketing term called smart transport. But actually, that didn't really exist. And where we could see the direction of travel was something that I became quite passionate about at the time, which was mobility as a service, which only now with the rise of things like Uber are starting to become quite a reality. But because you're moving stuff and people around, you then stumble into things like energy. And because they tend to be operating in buildings, and you've got smart trains trying to talk to smart stations. And what's the data interface to be? And how do you then get the trains full with people, which then starts making you think about, well, what do people want to know? And, and then this led to a, a, the idea that well, people are part of communities. Well, communities are conglomerates. of, And we tend to forget is us as people and what the greater good is and that led me into things like sustainability and citizen centricity and becoming a champion of the use of personal data and not being freaked out by the fact that things are happening in your name and you didn't really ask for them so making sure that you're in control over what you're doing and why you're doing it Mm, interesting yeah and then i got sucked into helping to write some standards pas 181 which is now iso 37016 um, and being a passionate advocate of using standards as a way of organising smart places. And I think we've, you know, it, we've got to get out of this. It's just all about cities. I think cities is a great way of capturing the zeitgeist, so to speak, but it's not necessarily about cities. Yeah, no, exactly. So what is a smart community to you? So to me, it's about anyone wanting to use information to achieve a new outcome. So that could be a campus at a university or a college. It could be a block of flats and some apartments. It's just a place where people come together and they want to achieve something different and they're using information in such a way uh, that allows that to happen. And yeah, I I think that if you could be a a smart city, a smart town, smart village, a smart street, a smart community, a smart campus, that anyone that captures is doing something cool. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I'm really keen to hear more about the smart cities standard. So can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, sure. So from my perspective, standards are are really key um, because they provide such a good foundation uh, and a set of uh, frameworks for you to be able to want to do the thing that you're doing. And what I mean by this is 
a standard when it's applied in the smart cities context, if you start off with PAS 181, which is the interoperability framework for smart places, it starts off with the idea that you've got to be outcome centric. So you're immediately putting down a marker by saying, what is it I'm trying to achieve? And then once you've got those outcomes aligned, you can then start thinking about who are the people that are important for making it happen. And this brings in people like your stakeholders and your citizens. And it also starting to recognize that you've now got a community and you've got an outcome. So you now need to start thinking about how you're going to collaborate. And then once you start creating one thing that you can collaborate with, and you want to build upon that, you then start thinking, I need to be interoperable. So you need standards to be able to say, well, I can, I'm share, I've got this data I'm creating and I would like you to do something with it. And they're also creating some data and they'd like to do something slightly different, but using both sets of data that are now there in the marketplace, so to speak. And that was the end goal of PAS 181. It was about saying, actually, every, all these independent actors, stakeholders, city chiefs, citizens, city operators, third parties, whoever they are, are creating and trying to exchange information and outcomes. So the other thing that standards are enshrined is the ability to interoperate and also this importance of creating open data. And open data doesn't necessarily mean it's free data. Open data is data that's just loved and curated. And as a result, if you've got outcomes that are loved and wanted by the people that are around the table, you've got standards that allow those outcomes to be recognized and nurtured through open data. And standards that allow that data to be shared and consumed by multiple different parties because they're interoperable. And as long as the citizen is front and center, and that and the important information marketplace model was saying, where is the citizen in, in this and why are you doing these things? You then have a very robust and solid smart city project that's likely to succeed. And now we have other standards coming through, such as PAS 183 on data. There's one on security, and I'm a passionate on advocate of using PAS 184, which is um, what I've been doing with the city of Winchester in particular in the UK. And that is around setting up what is a successful smart city project. And, and the guys at the BSI have done a great job in outlining what are successful projects. And those projects, they can then say, okay, they're made up of all these elements in terms of stakeholder engagement, citizen engagement how you're organized and how you're aligning your resources as a community to deliver that project. And then you can start putting some measures in place and saying, yeah, are you good, bad or indifferent? And if you're not so good, here's techniques or actions that you can take to correct your current smart city projects. And that's what we've been doing. And what's really cool about it is that because you're falling back on something that's been collected by many different engagements and it is a collective effort of experience that's created this successful smart city criteria. You know that you can go into your customer with confidence and say, look, I know this will work. If only you just fix this one bit, you'll find that it won't block all these other things that are impacting it because there's this tight relationship between things not working and necessarily filling the gaps. And you fill that gap and then you see really quite quick results that, yes, those things do get fixed. Now, and a classic example I had from my current project is around how do you organize? And they were looking to commission some visitor experience app. And so what do visitors want? They want content. So how do we go and engage the people that are going to create the content and make them part of that community? 
And ironically, it wasn't even on the to-do list of the project team that they needed to go out and do this. But they, we applied the standard. It highlighted that there was stakeholder missing, brought the stakeholder in. Not only did they provide content, but they provided additional funding as well. So it was a win-win for everyone. And that's the beauty of using a standard. It helps, helps you keep on path. It saves you money, saves you time, and it delivers success. Uh, and it's been proven time and time again. So I'm a big advocate of them. I think... Like with the standard, I, I love standards as well. Having that standard as a base, how do you ensure there's still like flexibility on top of that so then each place can do it to suit them, I guess? <laughs> Good question. So I think if we take, I think it's all about what does your place want to be famous for or what is your place focused on? And, and that, so you, for example, um, know now my business is based down in Portsmouth on the South Coast. And that is a city that is on an island. It's really densely populated and it has a number of challenges. That city will have a different set of ethoses versus where I actually live, which is in the middle of rural Hampshire, which has its own challenges around public transport, connectivity, ageing population, a rural economy that may or may not be working in, in the way people want it to. And it's those outcomes that you identify as a community that shape what it is, makes your city, community, place thrive. And then how you measure the success of, oh, yeah, I'm happy that I've got this speed of broadband or this type of connectivity because, you know, in in rural Hampshire, um, we might have a slower pace of life driven more by the speed of the tractors going down the streets versus in the city, they might have a, a slower pace of life because it's congested and everyone's, you know, can walk faster than they can drive. So it's all about perception, but it's also about what your outcomes are in your place. And that I think is what makes everyone different. Just because you've got a standard that says, oh, I've, I've got to have an outcome, that doesn't detract from your place being any different to someone else's place. Far from it. Um, it just means that you've got something that says, yeah, I, I've got an outcome and we measure it in the same way. And that could be sustainability. Or, you know, I've got this rating of sustainability and you've got that one. Another analogy is, <laughs> so for example, you could be a way of solving congestion is you make traffic run faster, but that could have a detrimental impact on road safety and maybe air pollution. It might be improved because congested cars don't pollute so much. But on the other hand, it might have a massive impact on connectivity. So it's using those outcomes to shape your place that are key. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, you know, the standards obviously take that into consideration and with, you know, engaging with stakeholders, like you need to be outcome focused on your place because if you go to somebody, you know, say a regional centre or, or a small town and be like, oh, yep, so we're going to do this, this and this, this. And if you haven't considered the local context, they're going to, you know, tell you to get out, right, basically. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And we shouldn't be scared of embracing standards and saying, okay, a smart place has these magic ingredients. And everyone's place will have a slightly different set of ingredients because they're, they're all different. Where I think we are, we are miles from, and we haven't even attempted to go there yet in a robust, proper way, is saying, what does good look like? What is a good smart city versus what is a bad smart city? And I think where we are in our journey of using smart city standards is we're at least putting in the, the foundations and the building blocks for cities that consider themselves to be smart to then say, and I'm smart because this is why. These are the outcomes. And then I'm going to have a more interesting dialogue as to why my outcomes are better than your outcomes. 
And because you'll be using things like open data and empirical results, because information gives you confidence. And as long as you can trust where that data comes from, and you probably should, because most of it will come from machines, and you're using not single data points, you're using a, a smorgasbord of, of information to say, this is why your out- outcome is being achieved. And ultimately, if people have got a smile on their face, they'll be able to say with some pride, yeah, but I've got a smile on my face because of this. And as long as we don't, as communities start going, my smile's bigger than yours and mine's better than yours, we should be in rejoicing in the fact that more people have got smiles on their face because they believe their outcomes are being achieved and their communities are happy. And happier places mean less conflict. And less conflict means there's more wealth. And more wealth means there should be more happiness or there's better things to do with our cash, time and, and resources. But yeah, it's going to be the definition, I think, in the future as um, why is my outcome better than yours? Which probably will lead to conflict because we don't tend to like being told what to do, do we? Mm, mm. Okay. Well, I might go back because I've skipped ahead a little bit, but I think we've answered this already. So my question was, why is this so important? And I think we've answered that a lot. So maybe let's go to the next one, which is more like, how is the UK embracing this kind of concept? And I guess I'd like to hear from your company perspective as well as like this standards perspective as well. Yeah, sure. So I think broadly, I don't think the smart cities market is embracing standards at all well. I think we pay lip service to them. And what's interesting is I was right at the start of the smart city standards journey when the UK government went out to industry and said, why hasn't the smart cities market taken up for a large corporate at the time um, that could claim that it set the whole smart cities journey off by coming up with the marketing term smart city? And we all said as one across the industry, oh, it's because we don't have standards. So the UK government, along with some others, you know, but the UK government supported BS British Standards Institute to create the first suite of PAS standards, of which 181 I helped write. And we delivered that. And then we sat back and went, we've got standards. And you talk to cities and the cities said to you, well done. Thank you for that standard. But what does it mean? It didn't unlock the market. And cities are still struggling to abide by standards, to embrace open data, to actually use open data to help evidence-based decision-making, to engage citizens in saying, here are some facts as a result of what we want to do and how would you like to spend the money? Because citizens are becoming more disengaged with making decisions and we're not using open data as we're supposed to. And we're not holding people to account that spend our money to make our places so-called better. So no, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. And if I look at the journey that No Now's been on and the engagements that we are having with cities, half of them are going great, half of them haven't started because you, you find that you just get sucked into the cludge of public sector decision making. So you tend to be a bit more guerrilla and try and work around and take small opportunities to get involved in smart city discussions and maybe do a bit of a research project. And I think we've been supping at the R&D research grant cup for a while. I think we've still got a, a little longer to go, but that's had its own impact in that it's created many, many hundreds, nine thousands of different versions of how to do something. So we don't have yet that idea of good trusted brands delivering smart places and maybe with Toronto and what Google's doing on Sidewalk Labs project, maybe that will be the the starting point if you like Google as a brand. But, you know, I'd I'd be fully expecting an Amazon smart city to start materialising pretty soon because Jeff's doing everything else and, you know, he's got nothing else to do now, has he? 
I guess it's interesting, like who do we want to be building these or well, creating these places? Because I also think it's not necessarily about building new infrastructure. It's about embracing new ways of doing things or, you know, just not getting stuck in we've always done it like this. So it is interesting. And who do we want to be running running the show, I guess? Or maybe we haven't thought about that. Oh, I don't think we have thought about it. So the IET, my, the institution I'm part of, uh, Institution of Engineering Technology, a year and a half, two years ago now, did a survey of people randomly chosen in the UK, asking them what the term smart city was. And top of their answers was it's a place where the students hang out, which may or may not be true because students are supposedly smart. The second winner was it's where the well-dressed people go. And I think number four on the list was it's something to do with the use of information, isn't it? Kind of a question not unsure. So we've got a long way to go to get the narrative of a smart city is there. And I think we've also got this backlash. And one of the reasons why Nonel created our consent survey, um, Consentra, which came about out of a smart city accelerator that we were involved with in London called the Cognicity Challenge. And we didn't want to be freaked out or give people on an app that we were um, hoping to win the competition with, freaked out by the way that we could manipulate the information feed based on the open data being streamed to your device that we could see because you were hooked up to our network. And you know, we knew who you were, where you had been, where you were going, what you did yesterday, all your browser settings, really rich personal data. And, you know, you had a data throttle and that data throttle, which we termed trust API, came into being as consensual a year later. And, and obviously with things like GDPR in, in the EU, general data protection regulation, which gives you the citizen certain inalienable rights over your personal data, the idea that you could be given choice and control as to what happens to your data, I think is one of the things we need to really focus on and give people that clear explanation of what it is they're going to get in return for the cool new service or the the more sustainable, more resource efficient allocation of a thing, because that a gives them an endorphin hit and a goodwill vibe and a feeling as part of a community. But at the same time, they're in control of going, no, I don't want to be part of that. I really don't care about that particular goal or objective. Or yeah, I'll do it, but do it anonymous because I want to stay under the covers. But you should be in control over, over the data you share. And as we, we spew out more and more information and our digital profile bleeds into our real life in more ways than one, understanding that data, what it's being used for, who's using it is going to be key, I think, in the future. So how do you think we can better integrate across different disciplines, government, industries? I'm going to come out with a trite answer here and say embrace standards because I know it works. Yeah. It is standards. If that was a question not set up, the, you know, our topic area of, of smart city standards, that is it. Standards help talk across silos. But fundamentally, the fact that smart cities, we haven't quite understood that in a smart city, you don't have a silo. You just have a service that works and it does something really well. And you use the information that that service has been completed and the outcome and measure of what it is you want it to be done. It just gets done. We think in silos because we think in 19th century management control that says, I am a top-down hierarchy and therefore I need to have control over the working elements that make my thing fly. 
But if you look at how societies and how complex problems that soak up most of our resources, be it social deprivation, poverty, educational outcomes, poor health outcomes, they're all interrelated. So how do we get the information about that citizen's needs disseminated and operated on in the appropriate way that's best for the citizen and best for the place and the resource that it can throw at that citizen's challenge? And none of that involves a silo. And we're just not ready to think like that, sadly. Our governance structures, our politicians, our our economic measures are all misplaced. And until we fix that, we're never going to have a smart place. Sorry for being despondent there. That's okay. But that's the project for next week, fixing the world. Fixing the world. Okay. Well, in fixing the world, we need to embrace some of these emerging trends. And I think I know your answer, but what do you think the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about enough? So I don't think we're talking about open data enough. And uh, we're living through a really cool social experiment in the UK. I don't know whether you've heard about it, but it's called Brexit. And by the time this podcast goes out, we, we might know the outcome. But as a social scientist, this is fascinating. And you kind of pinch yourself and go, oh, I'm in it. But yeah, if, if only we had embraced and have evidence-based decision-making where we can hold people that make decisions on our behalf to account and trust the data and then use it and apply it. And if you look at some of the cool things that are happening with open data champions, and I'll make a call out to um, people like Tom Forth and Mark Braggins and some of the guys up in Scotland because they're doing some awesome stuff there, led by my, my good friend Colin uh, in Glasgow. And it centers around putting not just data out there, but making it compelling, making it interesting and engaging people in saying, hey, if you looked at this and what does this mean for you? Now, that's cool. And we need to do more of that. It's been so awesome to chat with you, Chris. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been great. And I'm really keen to, you know, see the standards like embrace further. And I mean, I'm in Australia, so I'm looking at talking to somebody on Australian standards as well, because again, I think a lot of people working in the smart city space or whatever aren't aware or, you know, aren't using or aren't aware of the standards or how to use them. And it's just because we're all trying to grapple with what it actually means. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, It's a pleasure. And I've got some Australian heroes, City of Bendigo in Victoria. I love Bendigo. Yeah, they're doing some really cool stuff. I shared a plane ride with the um, head of the open data um, from there. And um, yeah, a really cool guy and um, really good evangelist. And, and I love the story where it's, they used evidence-based decision-making, got additional funding so they could prove they needed it. That's now made Bendigo a go-to place rather than a place that people avoid it. And it's all about how you present and tell stories using information. It's awesome. And I think Sydney, because uh, you're Brisbane, aren't you? Yeah, Toowoomba actually, um, out of Brisbane, but yeah. Yeah. So I know it's a different state. So in New South Wales, but I know Sydney have got are moving in the right direction, just seeing some of the, the things coming out in public procurement, the questions they're asking and the people they're hiring to fill roles and the things like chief data officers. And so I've got great hope that there's some really cool stuff happening in Australia uh, that could be world leading if only people got to hear about it. So I think, and you're doing a great job of telling the world and putting 
an Antipodean perspective on what it's like to be smart. And maybe we should be following some of the stuff that you guys are up to as well. So good luck. Thanks. Thanks so much again. And I just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Yeah, sure. So I'm happy always to connect online at Mobility Cooper is my Twitter handle or chris.cooper at kn-i.com. And to connect if you want to talk smart city standards, future of tech and, and how to become a, an outcome citizen centric place. Be awesome to engage and happily help any place on their journey. Excellent. Thanks again, Chris. And we'll definitely chat again soon. Zoe, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and good luck. And thank you very much for the opportunity to um, share the story. Thank you. No worries. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. 